0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. Snap decisions and bad choices. I'm pretty good at both of those. Really, I almost should have like a degree in bad choices and a certificate of completion in... How to do absolutely the wrong thing at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. Because I did them for many years while I was drinking. You know, when we think that we know what we're doing and we add alcohol, we have a pretty good chance that we're not doing it right. And when we get into recovery and we start thinking that we own this, we understand this because we've had a few days of sobriety and we've started working the steps and we get to feeling a little bit better, like we haven't felt in years. And then we decide. We get up on our soapbox and look around and we see that the horizon is clear. And we jump down off that soapbox and immediately get hit by a passing trolley because we weren't weren't looking both ways before we stepped into traffic. Let's hear what Joe and Charlie have to tell us about making sure that we're keeping ourselves looking before we leap.
1: Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree, which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy, are mystified when he walks directly in the saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? Our first example is a friend. Is Our first example is a friend we
2: shall call Jim. Everybody likes him. He's an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition. Yeah, he's typical alcoholic. Isn't he? Yeah. Now he did no drinking till he was thirty-five. In a few years, he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed on leaving the treatment center, oh, excuse me, on leaving the asylum. (laughs) Same thing, we're just different names today. He's
1: got a better word for him today.
2: He came into contact with us. Now, we told him what we knew of alcoholism. They told him about step one. And the answer we had found. They told him about step two. And he had made a beginning.
1: Later on, we're going to see that step three is but a beginning. So apparently, Jim took steps one, two, and three, and immediately things got better.
2: Things are looking up for Jim now. His family was reassembled, and he began to work as a salesman for a business he'd once lost through drinking. Now, all went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life.
1: Now later on, we're going to see the only way that we enlarge upon step three is through steps four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven. Jim didn't take any of those. One, two, three, and he stopped.
2: It's kind of like in the Pittsburgh Pirates. One, two, three, and you're out. (laughs) We see a lot of people today doing one, two, three, and they're out. To his consternation, he found himself drunk a half a dozen times in rapid succession. Now, on each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. Now, these are good AA members. Jim got drunk six
1: times in a row. Each time they went over there and very, very carefully worked with him. You get drunk six times in a row today, they're probably not going to have anything to do with you at all. These were good AA members.
2: He agreed he was a real alcoholic and in serious condition. He knew he'd face another trip to the treatment center if he kept on. Moreover, he would lose his family for whom he had deep affection. <clears throat> now on this next page, we're going to look and see where old Jim was sane, and they wanted to look to see where he went insane. Yet he got drunk again. And we asked him to tell you, tell us exactly what happened.
1: This time they went over to see Mm. old Jim, and they said, My God, Jim, this is seven times in a row. Let's quit messing with this stuff. Let's sit down here, and let's see exactly how you're getting drunk.
2: This is his story. He says, I came to work on Tuesday morning.
1: We read this book for years before we saw this. I came to work on Tuesday morning. Mm. Where was he all day Monday, anyhow?
2: (laughs) (laughs) We bad about those Mondays. Fridays and Mondays. See, I remember I felt irritated I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. Now, that's probably normal thinking for anybody
1: that had to be a salesman for a concern they once owned. That's not insanity. That's probably normal thinking.
2: I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious.
1: The boss probably said, say, Jim, by the way, where were you all day yesterday? <laughs> nothing serious, just a few words.
2: Then I decided to drive into the country to see one of my prospects for a car.
1: Well, apparently this guy is a car salesman. He's had a few words with the boss. He wants to get away from the shop. So we're going to drive out in the country and see a guy we already know to try to sell a car to him. This is normal, sane thinking for an alcoholic car salesman. No mm-hmm. insanity yet. No.
2: On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I'd get a sandwich. Well, it would be more normal that if you're hungry, stop in a place and get a sandwich.
1: The fact that this place has a bar is beside the point. We have no intention of drinking. Besides that, in this part of the country, probably in those days, you couldn't find a roadside place without a bar. Normal, sane thinking for an alcoholic car
2: salesman. No insanity yet. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, for for which I was familiar, for I'd been going to it for years. I'd eaten there many times during the months I was sober. That's normal sane thinking. Hell, we might find us another customer
1: while we're in there. We're certainly not going in there to drink. We've been in there many times during the months we're sober. Normal sane thinking for an alcoholic car salesman.
2: I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk.
1: What's more normal than if you're hungry to sit down at a table, order a sandwich and a glass of milk. Normal same thinking for an
2: alcoholic car salesman. Still no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Now
1: if you're hungry enough, (laughs) (coughs) there's there's nothing wrong with two sandwiches and two glasses of milk, unless you're a member of Overeaters Anonymous. (laughs) 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 Normal, sane thinking, though, for an alcoholic car salesman.
2: Now, suddenly, squiggly writing, suddenly, that means right now, suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. This is where he became absolutely insane. He fell for the lie. He fell for the
1: illusion. He deluded himself that now I could take whiskey if only I mix it with milk and take it on a full stomach, everything would be okay.
2: I ordered based, a
1: whiskey. Up, based upon the insane idea, he now makes
2: a decision and takes some action. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk, and I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but felt reassured as I was taking it, the whiskey on a full stomach.
1: Now we've got it inside ourselves, the phenomenon of craving begins to develop, the physical allergy takes over, and now
2: then we can't stop. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. It didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. He's running all these drinks of whiskey and milk, pouring them together. It runs both drinks. I don't understand that. <laughs> <clears throat> Thus started one more journey to the treatment center for Jim. He was a threat of commitment, the loss of family and possession, to say nothing of that intense mental and physical suffering which drinking always caused him. Now, he had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. Yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in the favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. Now, whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? If you lack proportion Mm. about alcohol, Mm. if you lack the ability to think straight about alcohol,
1: you may believe something Mm. that is not true. We call this plain insanity insanity. Now is Jim's problem the fact that he has a physical allergy to alcohol or is it the fact that he has a form of insanity that tells him it's okay to drink alcohol on a full stomach if you'll mix it with milk? The real problem of the alcoholic centers in the mind rather than the body. You may think this is an extreme case. To us it's not far-fetched. for this kind of thing has been characteristic of every single one of us. We have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences. There was always the curious mental phenomenon that paralleled with our sound reasoning. There inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. The next day we would ask ourselves in all earnest and sincerity how it could have happened. Let's look at another example, bottom of page 37. Our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of fast-moving vehicles. Now, I don't understand this guy, (laughs) but I can see him out here on the interstate waiting for a big truck to come down through there, jumps out in front of that truck, spins around two or three times sees how close it can come to hitting him without actually hitting him. For some reason, he gets a thrill out of it. I don't understand it, but I can see him doing it. He enjoys himself for a few years in spite of friendly warnings. Up to this point, you would label him as a foolish chap having queer ideas of fun luck then deserts him when he's slightly injured several times in succession he's getting a little older now he can't move as fast they begin to hit him once in a while <laughs> nothing serious he just kind of bounces off of yeah, it fender bender you would expect him if he were normal to cut it out but Presley's hit again this time has a fractured skull oh he got hurt pretty bad this time Within a week after leaving the hospital, a fast-moving trolley car breaks his arm, he gets hurt bad again. Now he sings their national anthem. He tells you he's decided to stop jaywalking for good. He said, man, this fractured skull, broken arms, is killing me, I'll never do that again as long as I live. But in a few weeks, he breaks both legs. On through the years, this conduct continues accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets altogether. Finally, he can no longer work. He's just beat up now. He can't hold a job. His wife gets a divorce. She started supporting him, the kids, and everybody else, and he's held up to ridicule. He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. Not his body, his head. He shuts himself up in a treatment center. I mean, an (laughs) asylum. We got them for everything else. We need one for jaywalking. He shuts himself up in an asylum hoping to mend his ways. But the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine which breaks his back.
0: Mm.
1: Now such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? Now you may think our illustration is too ridiculous, but is it? We who have been through the ringer have to admit if we substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. However intelligent we may have been in other respects where alcohol has been involved, we've been strangely insane. It's strong language, but isn't it true? I think that's so appropriate today.
0: It's all right to make a mistake. It's okay to do things wrong and learn from our mistakes. That's the nature of who and what we are. It's the defiant part that says, I'm going to do this even though I know it's wrong, that alcohol fuels. It's the empowerment feeling ...that I got from alcohol that made me do some of the stupidest things I've ever done in my life. Things that could have truly hurt myself or others. Fortunately, it never did. The stories relayed today talk about a couple of really key features... ...that happen when we do not listen and we are not willing to change. Repeating old patterns, continuing to do things that are dangerous... ...putting ourselves in situations where, on a moment's notice we could drink, are the things that we learn if we do all the steps. There are 12 of them, not three. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week, this is the Big Book Living Alive Joe and Charlie Podcast.